Hi, and welcome to the Ask Mr. DNS podcast. This is your co-host, Cricket Lou, along with my co-host, Matt Larson. Hi there. And we'd like to welcome you to episode 14 of our podcast. So that means we've uh, made it past unlucky number 13, right? Yes, although it didn't look good there for a while, did it? I think it's been about two months since the last episode. I think you're right. Yeah, that's a little uh, a little embarrassing, isn't it? I think it's the longest break between episodes so far. Without, I haven't looked to be sure, but I, I think that's the case. Yeah, it's it's as though we went on hiatus. <laughs> we did. You know, I don't know what podcasts you listen to regularly, but like aside from stuff like radio shows that are on every day, um, there are some other folks who just crank out the podcasts. Like I've been enjoying the uh, How Stuff Works uh, podcast. Oh, okay. Which is a blast. These two guys just talk about all kinds of crazy stuff and they do like two a week they're just machines yeah yeah well if it were a, a more significant part of uh what, what we did for a living i guess <laughs> we might do it more frequently if only we could get paid to do dns stuff if only if only this is sort of like the uh, this is the cricket and matt explain how they believe dns must work right <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I feel like we're always sort of falling into things like that. We're, you know, applying applying Occam's razor to uh, to the question of how how DNS uh, technology technology must work according to our current line of reasoning. Well, when we're in charge, that's how it'll be. That's right. That's right. Despite our uh, near hiatus, uh, there are some things in the mailbag, and I think we should open it up. All right. So. Uh, Pulling a letter out of the mailbag, I find this question comes in from Shane Wegner. Shane asks, I've been curious about this for some time and thought you might shed some light here. If I have an authoritative server for foo.bar and a client querying that server for www.foo.bar, the server returns the answer section, authority section, and additional section. Using minimal responses yes in namedy.conf, the server will only return the answer section. Why isn't minimal responses yes the default in bind? Does a typical client need authority and additional data, or is it mostly satisfied with just getting the answer to its query? I would think that would represent a significant bandwidth savings on a loaded server. All right. Well, I think in typical Ask Mr. DNS podcast fashion, I'm feeling the need to uh, give some background before we actually answer the question. I think that's fair. Yeah, so we should uh, remind our Legion listeners that there are actually five sections in a DNS packet, which is more properly called a DNS message. Right. And DNS uses the same message format for both queries and responses. Right, as well as updates and notify messages and just about everything else. That's true, yeah. It's been repurposed for a bunch of things. But uh, in a query and response context, these... uh, Sections. The five sections are first the header section, which has some flags, and a uh, it has the message ID, which is a 16-bit uh, tra- like a transaction ID, effectively. And uh, uh, well, we we don't need to go into the gory details of what's in there, but that's the header section. Uh, then there's the question section, which is a single question. Uh, and so, if you're sending a query, just those two sections are filled in. Well, there's eDNS zero. There's always an exception, isn't there? We'll, right, we'll, we'll, right. We'll leave EDNS zero out for the moment. Uh, and then a response uh, will have most of the header section echoed back at you with possibly some changes. 
uh, well actually probably some changes. Uh, it will definitely have the question section echoed back and then the remaining three sections uh, might or might not be filled in. Uh, so the third section then is the answer section which indeed has records that answer the specific question in the question section. Uh, then it has the authority section, which uh, might or might not have records in it. You typically find uh, NS records uh, in there. You find uh, an SOA record in there. Uh, wh what else might you find in there? Well, the SOA record would be in there in a negative response, right? That's, that's correct, yes. Right, right. I can't think of anything else that would normally appear in the authority section. I can't either. And then finally we have the additional section, which is... A name server's uh, way to kind of be polite to you and give you records that it anticipates you might need. So, for example, if in the answer section there is an MX record that lists the name of a mail server, uh, in order to make use of that mail server, you're going to want the IP address. You're going to want the A or the quad A record for it. And if the responding name server knows that, it can throw that into the additional section, anticipating your need for it, and it'll save you a query. That's right. It's sort of uh, that's sort of the canonical uh, the canonical example of um, the use of additional data, right? The MX record example. Right. So th those are our sections in the uh, in the DNS message. And what minimal responses does on a bind server is it directs the server to not fill in the authority and additional sections unless it absolutely has to. And, exactly. Uh, yeah, and, and do you want to maybe you want to talk about the conditions under which you have to have stuff in authority? Well, it, it strikes me that one of the situations in which you have to have something in the authority section is when you're sending a referral, right? If you're saying, um, I don't have the answer, the answer is uh, contained in uh, a subzone of one of the zones I know about, and it's served by the following name servers, those NS records would go in the authority section, right? Right, and in fact, a referral uh, has nothing in the answer section. It, it's exactly. The answer section is empty. Right, right. So you would just put those in the authority section. And then you might also have to put, you might actually be forced to put uh, one or more addresses in the additional data section if the delegation of that subzone was uh, to one or more name servers that were below the delegation point, right? Right, so example.com uh, has a name server ns1.example.com, and the only place that you can get ns1.example.com is, you know, as part of the delegation. That's the whole circular thing. So you'd have to have that address record for ns1.example.com in the additional section. Right. And I, and I believe that the, the other situation, and I think we have to fess up that we actually looked this up, right? Uh, the other situation is a negative response where you'd include the SOA record in the authority section. And one of the uses of the SOA record in the authority section is to tell you how long you can cache that negative response. That is the fact that, for example, some domain name doesn't exist or some record type doesn't exist for some domain name. Right. That's the mysteriously and incorrectly named uh, minimum field, the final field in the SOA record, which is no longer the minimum field, but now the negative caching Time to live field. Yes, exactly. Repurposed in RFC 2308. Was it 2308? I thought it was 2308. That... Uh, I was going to guess 2181, the clarifications Ooh, RFC. I think it's 2308. Do you want to look it up and check? Do we have anything writing on it? 
Uh, now that you now that you say now that you mentioned twenty three oh eight, I'm not so sure. Mm, now you don't want to bet, huh? No, I don't. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's twenty three oh eight. Maybe you bluffed me out of it. <laughs> maybe, I'd be a terrible poker player. Maybe I did. Maybe I did. Also because I don't know the order of the hands. Oh yeah, I do. I think. Like, does two pair beat three of a kind? Uh, no, three of a kind beats two pair. I mean, if you think about it, that makes sense, right? If you already have a pair of something, uh, you know, it's much less likely that you're going to get one of the remaining two cards out of the deck than you're going to have two disparate pairs, right? Yeah. See, eh, that's why I don't play poker. My friend Paul Phillips could probably tell you exactly what the difference between the odds are, but, you know, I, I couldn't. So where were we? We were talking about minimal responses. Minimal responses, yes. So why would you want this? Why would you want it? Well, I guess um, because you wanted to save on bandwidth, although it's, it strikes me that, you know, what you're talking about relatively small uh, responses to begin with, and so any savings in, in bandwidth is going to be very, very small, Uh you know, compared to the, the sort of traffic that your web server <laughs> is sending out over the, the network or that uh, somebody's, you know, somebody's streaming from YouTube to your network. Right. It's, it's easy to be penny-wise, pound-foolish, uh, network-wise uh, with things like this. You know, yeah, you saved 50 bytes in a DNS query, but <laughs> you, know, you, send it, you send a megabyte worth of, you know, Im- images for who knows what. Yeah. Well, in the in the example you cited, in which you have uh, an MX record going back, let's say you turn on minimal responses, and your name server responds with an MX record, and then uh, the the mail server that receives the MX record presumably is going to send another query to look up the address of the mail server that you referred it to, and I mean, isn't that a perfect example of penny wise and pound foolish? If you're answering the second query, you end up you know you end up handling more data than you would have if you just included the A record in the additional data section in the first place. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And then one other thing that struck me is that if you're handing, if you don't hand back your own set of NS records, then the only people handing back NS records are the people sending referrals, that is the people who administer your parent's zone. Now that's sort of a no-op if your um, NS records in your parent zone are exactly the same as the ones in your zone, but sometimes that's not the case, right? I mean, you would, you above all people, Matt, would know that working for VeriSign. Indeed, yeah. I mean, so this this is behavior that people might not quite realize happens, but so I, I guess, again, kind of in uh, background mode, uh, going professorial here, but l- let's imagine uh, that we're resolving uh, www.example.com and a recursive name server is uh, working its way down from the root, uh, resolving that address record, let's say, and it queries a .com name server for uh, www.example.com, and it gets a referral to example.com, which is some set of NS records in the authority section, empty answer section, because, again, that's what referrals look like. Mm-hmm. And so it, uh, it caches that referral, and it follows the referral to one of the example.com name servers, and then it picks one of them, sends it the query for www.example.com, uh, gets the response, and provided that, again, minimal responses are not turned on, so you're getting the, the regular responses, uh, the answer section would have www.example.com's A record, and then the authority section would have example.com NS records. 
but this would be the version of the NS records from the example.com zone itself, which need not be the same, as you just said, as the ones in the .com zone. They could mm-hmm. have drifted over time if somebody wasn't keeping things up to date. And what that recursive name server does is it immediately says, uh, because of something called credibility, it says, oh, look, another copy of the example.com NS records. And yes, I already have those in my cache, but this set of NS records here in the authority section of an authoritative answer are more credible or more trustworthy than that set that I got in a non-authoritative referral from the .com server. So I'm going to throw out that previous set of NS records in favor of this more trustworthy set. Right, right. So it gives you the opportunity, for example, to add additional authoritative name servers into the set that people query um, to correct, basically, the the uh, set handed out by your, your parent's own. And you would lose that opportunity if you turned on minimal responses. You would. The example I give of credibility, which, by the way, I'm absolutely certain is in RFC 2181. Aha. But the example I give is it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like gossip, right? You, mm-hmm. you, if you have different sources for gossip, you you have ones that are more trustworthy than others, and you know, given two conflicting pieces of information, uh, you know, you might believe your, uh, you know, your best friend as opposed to just this uh, guy you work with down the hall who never really knows what's going on. Right, or firsthand, you know, something you heard directly versus something that you heard secondhand. Yeah, that's an even better example. I thought so. <laughs> so is that is that a, a sufficient answer for uh I think so. Oh, one other thing that I'm remembering about uh minimal responses is with uh DNSSEC DNS key queries. Hmm. Doesn't um it seems to me and this is going to be one of those shouting at the uh MP3 player moments potentially, but I think bind <laughs> turns on uh minimal responses for DNS key responses. Oh, really? Yes, and okay. I can't. I was frantically typing. You maybe heard me in the background there, mm-hmm. uh, trying to dig up something, and I and I can't. So, uh, at, at my own peril, I I bring up the topic without exactly remembering all the details. But it uh, it it cuts down on the size. Yeah, I mean DNS DNSSEC seems like one place where um, there's a lot more sort of additional data, right? When I remember tracing the resolution of uh, of assigned response and seeing all of the RRSIG and DNS key information that was sent back in additional data. So there's a place where you could stand to benefit a lot from all of that, um, all of that additional data being returned by the authoritative name servers. Yep. I don't know, even know, would it work if you turned on, uh, if you turned on minimal responses? It seems like uh, it would require so many additional round trips to, you know, fill out RRSIG record, RRSets and stuff like that, that, uh, that they might even just prohibit it. Well, some things you can't really query for, like the spec says that RR SIGs have to be sent with the corresponding RR set. So yeah, yeah, of course. And 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 I think I believe it even says you're supposed to send them immediately afterward in the message. Oh, okay. I don't I don't know. Once again, I there's just too much to keep in my head. I can't remember everything. <laughs> Yeah, but so so some and NSEC records and NSEC three records can't really be queried for directly very well. There's some stuff that just has to come along as as metadata, mm-hmm. or it just doesn't work very well. But mm-hmm. no, the specific uh, thing about DNS key records is, I think, I think that's an example of you've already presumably got the zones uh, information the the name servers, so you don't need 
I don't know. I'm regretting I mentioned this now. <laughs> we'll edit it out later. I promise. <laughs> All right. Either that or we'll just correct it in episode 15. It'll be right. A, right. an excuse to come back. So. All right. I think we've, uh, I think we've exhausted that. So uh, we do have one more question in our uh, mailbag that we wanted to get to, uh, and that deals with uh, DNS Curve, which has been in the news a little bit recently. Right. And uh, this is from, oh dear, I'm going to mispronounce this, this uh, Greek gentleman's name, uh, Yorgos Adamopoulos. Now, how do you know he's Greek? <laughs> <laughs> Just a wild guess. Uh, yeah. But anyway, he says... Uh, now that OpenDNS adopted DNS Curve, mm -hmm. do you think it is a good time to discuss it in your podcast? Maybe in a DNSSEC versus DNS Curve way, or even if they can coexist in an installation in a complementary way. Thank you in advance. All right. Well, I guess we should start in true Ask Mr. DNS fashion by sort of describing what uh, DNS Curve does. We've described DNSSEC before many times, but DNS Curve may be new to some listeners. Basically, it's uh, a concept that uh, Dan Bernstein, I, I guess I should say Dr. Dan Bernstein, came up with. And it's a way that I think of, and, and maybe this is oversimplifying it, but I think of it as a way of embedding some public key information in the name of a name server that then gets, uh, you know, gets put into an NS record, and then using that public key information to kind of bootstrap secure, uh, secure communication with that name server, sort of a la uh, TSIG, although I believe it does, channel, uh, does uh, channel privacy as well, doesn't it? It does. Well, maybe you were going to get to this, but the, the reason this is possible, uh, or one of the reasons, and the reason for the name Curve in DNS Curve is that it uses uh, elliptic curve cryptography, uh, which has much smaller key material. Right, right. And, and we should say that uh, Dan Bernstein is something of an expert in, in elliptic curve cryptography. Um, and he even has, I think he uses a particular elliptic curve algorithm that he discovered, didn't, didn't he? Yes, I, I know just enough about ECC to be dangerous. And my understanding is that there are all these different curves. And I believe this is, a, I believe it's the curve is his own invention. He's right. picked a particular curve that he thinks has the appropriate properties. Right, right. So, so basically, we can think of it as a way to kind of bootstrap secure communication between a recursive name server and an authoritative name server using public key material that is uh, embedded in the domain name of the authoritative name server. And the idea is, I think, that um, this would help combat things like uh, the Kaminsky cash poisoning attack because someone uh, trying to spoof responses to a recursive name server um, wouldn't be able to sort of break into that uh, secure channel. Um, that, that information would be uh, the, you know, the real authentic information coming from the authentic um, authoritative name server would be in a private channel and wouldn't be subject to spoofing by somebody who, uh, you know, wasn't, wasn't part of, uh, you know, didn't have the, the appropriate private key that corresponded to the public key embedded in the domain name of the name server. Something like that? Yeah, that's, that's how I understand it. And, and I, I just want to stress this embedded in the name server part because it really is brilliant. Mm -hmm. It's really a slick idea. So you would have to change the names of your name servers to use DNS Curve. So let's go back to the example.com uh, domain name that we've been using throughout this particular episode. 
you know, rather than naming your name server ns1.example.com and ns2.example.com, uh, the names would literally be these, you know, big long blobs of, of seemingly random looking goop that represented an encoded public key dot example.com. Right, right. And in fact, every name server itself has uh, a public key pair. So if you have, you know, four name servers, for example.com, each of those separate NS records would have a different name corresponding to that server's own particular public key. So I guess we should talk a little bit about about sort of what the differences between DNSSEC and DNS curve are, right? Yeah, well, so you get two things with DNSSEC. You get uh, data integrity. You mm-hmm. know that the data has not been altered as it moves across the network. So you get that with uh, with DNS curve. Although th- there is a slight difference in that you can also prove integrity of data after, for example, it's been sitting on some untrusted name server's cache, right? That's that's true because the signature travels along with the data, and you can do that verification anytime you want, right. as opposed to DNS curve uh, only protects it for the particular uh, hop when it goes from uh, authoritative server to recursive name server. Exactly. And I think that's probably a pretty important distinction because... You know, in a lot of cases, you could have uh, an untrusted uh, recursive name server, untrusted forwarder run by an ISP, that sort of thing. Right. And then the other service provided by DNSSEC is what's called data origin authentication, which is you know where the data comes from, because if you can build a chain of trust to say example.com's public key, uh, why then you know that any data signed with that key really came from example.com and not some imposter. Yeah, exactly. And there's no such uh, corresponding mechanism in, in DNS curve. It's really uh, just individual servers you know that you're talking to. You, there, there's uh, no concept that you know a data. You know the data came from a particular zone. Right. And if if someone, for example, were able to break into um, the host that was running uh, a server that was running DNS curve, they could presumably just you know change all of the data. Uh, that they wanted to, and um, that data would be accepted by queriers because, you know, the the channel is is you know appropriately uh, secured, but the data itself has has been compromised. Whereas, there's the potential with DNSSEC not to have that happen, because just because you broke into the server doesn't mean that you now have access to the private key used to sign the data. Yeah, the DNSSEC design went to great lengths to make it possible, though not required, but possible to separate serving from signing. Right, right. I, for example, you know, in, a, in an architecture where you had a hidden primary that was responsible for, um, for signing the data that wasn't easily accessible, and you had a bunch of secondaries out there, compromise of the secondary um, presumably wouldn't give you access to the, to the private key at all. Exactly. Right. But in the in the DNS curve example, simply having access to the secondary means that you can you can forge the data. You can forge the responses. Yeah. So uh, I really think it's apples and oranges when comparing DNSSEC and DNS curve. Uh, DNS curve is, is very clever and it, I think, does what it does very well, but it does a different set of things than DNSSEC. So they, they really don't compete. They overlap a little bit. Uh, they're even complementary in some ways, I would say. Well, that's that's one of the things that I actually 
posited in my in my blog, <laughs> www.cricketondns.com. But I thought, you know, hey, why not employ a mechanism to actually secure the channel in addition to a way to cryptographically sign the data? Uh, the, two are, the two could be quite complementary. Uh, one, one other thing about DNS curve that I would point out is that um, as far as I know, there are no implementations that are publicly available. OpenDNS did an implementation um, for their recursive name server, but their recursive name server is, is, as far as I know, only used by them, and the code's not publicly available. So if you are really excited about DNS curve today, there's very little you could do about it except, you know, I guess, proselytize to other people, right? Yeah, that, that's a very good point. And in fact, the specification is... Well, I think you could go so far as to say there isn't a specification. There's a website, right? But it's not. Uh, it's a bunch of pages that really kind of describe the protocol and talk about its attributes and a little bit about the data format. But if you're used to uh, reading protocol specifications the way, for example, the IETF turns them out, it's it's definitely not that. Right. And uh, there was an attempt to turn that into an internet draft, which you know could become an RFC. So in other words, an official IETF protocol spec. Uh, but in my reading of that, you know, I, I don't see how you could implement DNS curve from what they currently have published as an internet draft. So I think if the uh, supporters of DNS curve want it to be implemented, there's going to have to be a better specification to make it possible for implementers to really understand it better. Right. And probably an open source reference implementation of it as well. Oh yeah, definitely that would help. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's pretty, uh, pretty well answered. Don't you? I think so. So speaking of DNSSEC, how, how goes DNSSEC deployment? How, how goes the signing of the root? Yeah, well, that's, we're, we're right in the middle of it. And uh, the short answer is it's, it's, it's going, and it's going well. Um, I should maybe recap uh, quickly where, where we are. We um, started actually signing the root internally between uh, VeriSign and ICANN, the, the two organizations that are... Uh, collaborating to do this. We started in uh, December of 2009, but, but the uh, signed route stayed internal to the two organizations. And then starting in January, uh, we started rolling it out. And I know we've talked about this in the podcast before. The, the version that's being rolled out is uh, what we're calling the DURS, the D-U-R-Z, the Deliberately Unvalidatable Root Zone. We're, we're taking the DNS key records and we're, we're overwriting them with bogus keys so that we can uh, roll the root zone out incrementally, make it impossible for people to actually validate against it, but exercise the larger responses coming back from root servers to make sure that they're not breaking things. Exactly. Got it. So this, this incremental rollout is proceeding. Um, we've had the first uh, first three rollouts. We did uh, ICANN's uh, L root went first. Uh, then a root operated by VeriSign went second a few weeks later, and then a few weeks after that, um, I root and M root went. And after each of these, or I should say, really surrounding each of these, we're doing packet captures. Uh, we're trying to get 24 hours of data from all the root servers. Um, not all the root servers are uh, are, are playing along, but uh, <laughs> we've got we've got nearly everyone. And uh, Dwayne Wessels, who uh, now, well, who was in episode 13, our first ever guest. That's right. And, 
and uh, and and now was a great hire. I was very lucky to convince him to come work for Verisign. Uh, Dwayne is just going to town on these packet captures and doing analysis. And in fact, he gave a presentation at uh, the most recent Nanog. Uh, he was part of a panel. Uh, I'm not going to be able to remember the number of, uh, of of Nanog. We should you know we should put a link to this uh, presentation in the blog posting. Oh, definitely. Uh, I'd like to read it, frankly. Yeah, but so he's got some great uh, eye candy, some great looking graphs. Uh, and, and that was after two deployments. We've now had, as I said, three. And the fourth one is next week. Uh, so next week, uh, the uh, D, K, and E routes go. So there's increasingly large numbers of uh, root servers begin serving this unvalidatable root zone. Uh, so that's next week on the, uh, the 24th of March. Then on April 14th, uh, five servers go. Uh, and then on May 5th, uh, the one remaining server, JRoot, again, uh, one run by VeriSign goes. So we've got three more of these deployments, mm -hmm. uh, three more chances to gather data. And, and what we're looking for is, uh, is anything unusual happening? You know, when we, when we do a before and after, uh, what, what happens? Do we see any radical shifts of traffic? Uh, anything we can't explain? And so far, the answer is really um, no. You know, we see a slight, slight rise in TCP connections, which is to be expected because the responses are larger and there are places mm -hmm. where they can't get through and somebody will, will retry with TCP. But, you know, when, when you go from answering, you know, uh, one TCP query a second to 30 TCP queries a second, it's not something to get terribly excited about, in our opinion. It, you know, in other words, that's exactly... Uh, what what we expected a modest increase in TCP. So mm -hmm. that's the slightly longer answer, which is to say, so far so good. And, and is everything still on schedule for uh, July first to to actually have the root zone signed and and trust anchors published? Yep. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me of that final date. So we'll have really two months uh, during May and June when we'll be in this state where all of the uh, root servers will be serving the DERS. So you will, you'll have to be either processing these larger responses uh, that you get from root servers or uh, having bad things happen. And, and it's during that two-month window that we'll, uh, again, watch the data, uh, see what happens. But, but barring uh, some substantial population having problems or some you know, really uh, unforeseen horrible things happening, you know, the plan is absolutely July 1st. Uh, we publish the real keys in the root zone, and uh, ICANN publishes the keys as trust anchors on its website, and uh, away we go. Signed root. All right. Well, I, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll, it'll be a milestone. Yeah, sure will. All right. Well, is that all we have to say? I, I heard that you had a, a brush with greatness recently. Is that right? I, I did. You know, it was uh, Tuesday was the actual uh, 25th anniversary of the first dot-com name being registered. Yeah, I wrote about it, actually. Dot-com yeah. <laughs> is 25. So you, you probably read what the, what the first name was. Uh, it was uh, the first delegation was Symbolics.com. Yep, Symbolics.com, indeed. So um, VeriSign is having uh, various events all year to, to celebrate, and we had a, uh, it was called a Policy Impact Forum. We had it, uh, downtown D.C., had a few hundred people there, and the keynote speaker was uh, none other than the 42nd president of the United States, William Jefferson Clinton. Aha! Uh -huh. And uh, by being in the right place at the right time, I uh, was able to get my uh, picture taken with him and shake his hand. Oh, very nice. 
Yeah. It was unexpected. I was able to uh was able to do that and you know, it, it it's really cool. That's certainly the the, <laughs> the closest I've ever been to him to to him or any other president. Mhm. That's great. All right. Well, would you like to take us out? Sure. We thank you as always for listening and uh ask for your questions. Uh remember you can write us at Mr. DNS at ask-mrdns.com. That's mrdns at ask-mrdns.com. Please keep those questions coming or we'll have to make them up and we certainly don't want (laughs) to do that. Much better to answer actual questions. So thanks again for listening and we'll see you in episode 15. Bye-bye.